I'd say that the moral of this story is be willing to listen for the direction uh, that God presents to you in your life and be willing to honestly evaluate whether you can be pushed beyond your current limitations because I think we'll find that more often than not we can if we're willing to have faith and we're willing to have real genuine hope of something beyond our current circumstances. That was Craig DeHutt, co-founder of an Indianapolis-based media production company named Appian Media. Join me for a conversation with Craig on the Hopeful Hoosier podcast, episode 16. I'm your Hopeful Hoosier host, Andy Dix. It's been several months since I published my last episode of the Hopeful Hoosier podcast. As the COVID-19 crisis wore on and the world seemed to erupt in violence and intolerance, I must admit, I wasn't feeling very creatively inspired to produce a new episode. I hate to say this publicly, but I think my hope was really being challenged. I met with Craig DeHutt in the very early part of 2020, before we had to wear masks and could shake hands and could sit in an open coffee shop within six feet of each other without fear of contracting a potentially deadly virus. As I reviewed the recordings, it all seemed so long ago, and I seriously questioned if our conversation was even relevant anymore. Yes, even hopeful Hoosiers sometimes get the blues. I was reading recently Radical Trust by Brennan Manning and came across this insightful formula that changed my perspective and restored my hope. Manning wrote that faith plus hope equals trust. Faith is the assumptive beliefs that we're willing to act on as if they're true in this present moment. Hope is the eager anticipation of a desired future state becoming reality. According to Dr. Shannon Kincaid of Queensboro Community College, when people have hope, they must first have faith because they hold a belief that says, I believe the future will be better. People cannot have hope without faith. This series of crises has challenged many people's faith objects, including my own. Maybe you've come to realize that you placed your faith in your finances for security, or our judicial system for equal justice, or our doctors and scientists for cures, only to see them all prove unworthy of our faith. For Christians, we're challenged to walk by faith and not by sight or by what we can observe in this material world. This prolonged time of adversity has forced us to confront our faith and say, is in God we trust just a slogan on our currency and our license plates, or is it the result of our faith in God, hope in a good God, resulting in our trust of his promises? That's where Craig DeHutt and his team at Appian Media re-enter our story. Craig is a living example of someone walking by faith, maintaining his hope, and placing his trust in his God for the outcomes. His small Indiana media company has a very unconventional business model, as you will soon hear. So I hope you'll sit down and enjoy a cup of coffee with Craig and I in the pre-COVID world, before we had to social distance. And maybe, just maybe, you'll get a free refill on your hope. Well, first of all, thanks for being on the show today. It's, it's a joy meeting you and, and being here. Tell us about where we're at. We're in a really unique location in Irvington, historic Irvington in Indianapolis. So give me a little background about this building itself because it has a unique story. It does. So we are in Needhammer, 
and this is a place that uh, a local family uh, purchased this building when it was near uh, beyond saving really when they purchased this three-story building there were holes through each floor they could stand on the first floor and look up at the sky and they saw the potential of this building i think when many people had could not and turned it into a, a coffee shop on the first floor what's now a co-working spot on the second floor and a beautiful venue space here up on the third floor and uh, it's actually this is where a lot of the pre-production and a lot of the planning of Appian Media takes place. And the third floor is actually where we've done many of our events and premieres. I, I think it's appropriate somehow that we're talking about um, realizing a vision for the future in this space, because like you said, they could literally see from floor one all the way through to the sky because it was dilapidated. But as they drove by, they said, there's something there, there's some possibility. Uh, this building isn't done yet, and it just needs some TLC and a little bit of uh, a new chapter for a new story, right? And that's where people like you come in. As a creative here in Indiana, a filmmaker, a documentarian, a video producer, podcast producer, etc., you are sort of a rare breed around here. It's not what we really think of when we think of Hoosier. Uh, but tell us what it's like to be a video producer, movie producer, film producer, and be here in Indiana. Right. It's not the place you think many of us would end up. There are a variety of reasons that uh, my family and I have settled here in Indianapolis. My teenage years and into high school, we were in southern Indiana, have found ourselves many years later coming back to Indianapolis. I made a decision very early on in my career that I didn't want to go to the traditional places that people would think of. I did not have my eyes set on Hollywood. I wanted to tell different stories than they were telling, and I wanted to do it in different ways than they do it out there, and I, I couldn't be successful in the way that I view success if I went out there. And so found ourselves, um, uh, through various th through various means, um, uh, led by family, I think led by God, um, to settle here and have found the opportunities created for us here. Um, so that there's there's no lack of of work to do and creatives to connect with here, right here in Indianapolis. Let's go back and talk about those early days. Uh, you actually were born in Oregon. Correct. And relocated here with your family. Mm -hmm. But you, you had sort of an interesting start in Columbus, Indiana. Tell me a little bit about that. Right. So um, early teenage years, uh, I guess technically it began in Greenwood. We had a farmhouse in Greenwood and then spent my high school years in Columbus. Um, a family friend gave us a hand-me-down video camera, mini DV, and... Uh, my siblings and I, I'm one of seven, um, would make movies in the backyard. Really ridiculous, hilarious, um, short films about all sorts of things, superheroes and detectives. And we once did an entire car chase with two vehicles that didn't actually move because none of us were old enough to have driver's licenses. But camera trickery made it look like we were having a car chase. And I very quickly 
realized that not only was this something I was excited to do and passionate about, but just witnessing the audience's reaction to what we had created, which was usually humor. They were normally laughing at the funny things that we had done, but video and media has the power to move people, to make them feel things, and oftentimes to teach them things if you try to, that uh, I really wanted to pursue that and, and turn that into a career. When you were doing these early stories, whether they were car chases or humor, was there any underlying themes that kind of ran through them? Eventually there was. You know, eventually I, I intentionally started to write scripts and, and tell short stories with some kind of moral to it. Loving your enemies or using powers for good instead of for selfish reasons. Working together as a, as a family, as a team, instead of allowing yourselves to be divided. Those are the types of messages that, that I, I really feel, based in biblical truths, are the things that can actually have the most impact on people. What drives you the most about the craft that you have? What is it about it that, that lights you up and inspires you? I really do think it stems from what I believe I can do for people if I tell the right stories in the right kind of way that I can change them for the better, that they can be better after consuming that piece of content than they were going in. And sometimes it's as subtle as I'm simply creating a piece of content to help them have a piece of information they didn't have before. Uh, we helped produce video for Needhammer and tell the story of this restoration of this building and the, the potential that they saw in this this what was nearly a condemned structure. Letting people hear that story, I think, can inspire them to look around for those same opportunities in their lives. And so what, what drives me is, is discovering and or creating those types of stories because I like to see the, the impact that it can have on, on other people. What does it mean to you to tell an honest story as a creative and a producer. I studied film at a film school in Atlanta and we learned Hollywood's techniques there. We were taught by industry professionals very good at their craft, very talented and very successful. But I was struck by some of the instructors there sharing with us the deceptive means that we could use to manipulate people with this media. It is no secret that media has that power. We don't tend to think about it, I think, as often as we should, but deception is a tool in our tool belt as creatives and as video professionals that can really harm people with the wrong kind of messages or the wrong kind of methods. And I was convicted to not do that. I wanted to tell real, truthful, honest stories and not trick you into something. I wanted you to know what I was about and what the story was, was meant to do. And that closes a lot of doors, but the doors that are left open are the, the ones that I actually want to go through. As you progressed in your career, you dabbled in some of the newer forms of storytelling, video game production, and some other things. But at some point, there, there came this 
crossroads where you decided to make a very career left turn that most producers would probably say is career suicide. Not only were you staying in Indiana by choice, but you also decided to go the route of nonprofit video production where most producers go to starve and die. Yeah. And, and you've actually been successful in this. Tell me that story of where did you come to this crossroads to form Appian and, and how did that come to be? Sure. So our family moved from Kentucky and came back here to Indianapolis. Um, I had taken a job with a company called 12 Stars Media up in Fishers and learned a lot from them. Really appreciated the team that was there. And on my tail end of, of my time with them, I had coffee with another video producer friend of mine. Um, recently met him who had also recently moved his family to Indianapolis and he shoots commercials, large-scale productions. He's a field producer, actually worked with, with HDTV for a while uh, with the series shot here in Indy called Good Bones. And he and I were sitting, you know, sitting over coffee, talking shop. And I remember him saying to me that he was in the middle of, of teaching a Bible class and the high school students that he was teaching with were just not engaged in the way that he really wished they would be. And he's a visual learner as well and wanted them to see the lands of the Bible that they were talking about in the text. So he went looking on YouTube, trying to find what he considered, because he worked in the industry, high quality video that had the biblically accurate content that he was looking for. And he, he simply couldn't find it. What he was finding was videos that were 20 or 30 years old, uh, people that were essentially lecturing and Israel just kind of happened to be behind them. You know, if you looked close enough, you could see Jerusalem back there. But that's not what he was used to producing. Um, that's not what he knew kids at that age were used to consuming. And so he and I were kind of sitting around complaining about the lack of, of this type of content, this gap that we saw in the market. And he had this absolutely crazy idea, and I'll still tell it to his face, it was a crazy idea. And he said, why don't we just make it? We know how to make the kind of quality that, that we would like to see. Neither of us had ever been to Israel. We had never attempted to finance what would be a fairly expensive uh, production trip, a series of production trips. But we knew we wanted something that didn't exist and we were adamant from the very beginning that it would be free because Stu went looking for it and wanted it in that form. He wanted it on YouTube, he wanted it readily accessible, that he could watch it in its entirety, no strings attached, and share it with his class. And so we said, well, in order to do it for free, we're going to need all of the funds before we go. And so we turned to Kickstarter and crowdfunding, and that's, that's how this whole thing got started. So Appian Media, tell me about what its current state is, and then what are your hopes for the future? Uh, so Appian Media technically began the end of 2015. We took our first production trip to Israel after a successful Kickstarter campaign. Uh, we took our first production trip in 2016 and have uh, since then made, made three 
complete trips. We've created two docu-series, one about the life of Christ, a 10-episode series called Following the Messiah. And we travel to places from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and we take a boat ride out on the Sea of Galilee. We go underground and, and talk about where Jesus taught and lived and the miracles that he performed. We also produced a series called Searching for a King, which looks at the archaeological and historical evidence for the first kings of Israel, namely King David. So we interview archaeologists and historians over there in country, and that series was released early in 2019 and has since uh, won some awards at various film festivals. And now, really 2019 was a year that we, we decided that we could continue to create perhaps one project each year as time allowed, or we could really kind of kick this into high gear and produce not just video, but media. We are Appian Media, and we knew from the very beginning that it would involve more than video. And so 2019 introduced a podcast series that we call Inroads. And uh, Stu and I talk about using digital media as a means of evangelism, using our own story and how we've been able to do it, hopefully to inspire other people to, to use media in, in their evangelistic efforts. What I would like to see this become, our five-year goal, 10-year goal, really is to be the place that people think to go when they're looking for biblically accurate, professionally produced content. That they just naturally think of Appian Media as, I'm doing a study on such and such. I'm gonna to go to Appian Media and find what podcasts they have, what written study guides they've created, what video series they have, and use that in, in my teaching. Here's a brief excerpt from Appian Media's free Bible teaching video series titled Following the Messiah. This clip is taken from episode four and features Craig DeHutt's brother, Jeremy DeHutt, and Barry Bittnell on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It is gorgeous out here today. It really is, it's a beautiful day here. So we're at the Sea of Galilee. Why don't you read a little bit from Mark 1? This is the area where Jesus called his disciples and in Mark 1 it says, and passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. You can really visualize that. It talks a lot about the occupation of these four men. You know, they're fishermen, they're casting their nets, they're cleaning their nets, they're fixing their nets. And you can really see all of that going on right here. You can imagine that really Absolutely. well. Absolutely. That's one of the reasons why it's so nice to see this here at the Sea of Galilee. About how far would that have happened where Jesus calls them, how far would that have happened from this spot? It would have happened somewhere here on the northern shore. So I right. would say anywhere between a half mile either way of where we're standing right now. We'll have more of our conversation with media producer Craig DeHutt, co-founder of Appian Media, when the Hopeful Hoosier podcast continues.
I am really fortunate that every day in my role as a board-certified executive coach at AD Growth Advisors, I get to talk to visionary idealists and social entrepreneurs and co-founders of B Corps and nonprofits. I try to specialize in helping people create profit on purpose. As organizations become more successful and complex, the demands on the executive team change and evolve. And unfortunately, unless a founder is investing in professional development with an experienced coach, they risk falling into many common pitfalls that can result in holding back the organization, missing expectations, and not fulfilling the promise of their stated purpose. Savvy executives don't try to do it all alone. Together, we can create their ABC growth plan that helps them ensure their attitudes and beliefs are positive and productive, their behaviors are consistent with achieving their goals, and their professional competencies include the required knowledge and skills they need to succeed in an ever-evolving role as the leader of a rapidly growing and evolving organization. If you'd like to have someone on your team committed 100% to your success, then let's talk about what it might look like for us to work together in a coaching engagement. It would be my honor to help you be your best at doing your good. Visit us on the web at adgrowthadvisors.com. Now back to our conversation with Craig DeHutt of Appian Media on the Hopeful Hoosier podcast. And why is Indianapolis the ideal choice to house your nonprofit? Indianapolis certainly would not be what most people would think of. Well, obviously, a, a group like Appian Media needs to be in Indianapolis. Honestly, I credit it to the Lord where Stuart and I, we found out later, actually followed very similar paths. He lived in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and actually worked at the television station that I worked at a couple years before me. We did not know each other. But it wasn't until we met in Indianapolis and connected over coffee that this idea originated. And once we set out to do it, we launched that Kickstarter, basically asking people to finance a project unlike, really unlike anything that had been produced before. People have certainly made docuseries over in Israel, but we could not find a single group that was willing to give it all away for free once completed. So we created this thing completely unique. And wouldn't you know, once we did that, people started coming out of the woodwork and saying, I, I actually have those skills as well. During that Kickstarter campaign, um, a couple, Jet and Danny Kaiser, they live in Greencastle, but work you know, quite a bit here in, in Indianapolis. Wedding videographers, but now they also shoot some stellar corporate videos and commercials reached out to us and said, I, I heard about what you're doing. I'd love to be involved. The core of our production team is based here in Indiana. And while we do have team members, you know, there's, there's still one in Kentucky, there's one in Tennessee, one of our hosts lives in Alabama. When the creatives get together, uh, we are, our core team is, is here in Indiana. And throughout the years, as we've continued to create content, it has attracted uh, businesses and, and groups here locally so that the majority of the things that we need, venue space or networking opportunities, um, many of the things that, that we need are, are right here in Indiana. So people have asked, well, you're freelance, so you could pretty much go wherever you want to go. Um, and right now, today, Indianapolis is where I want to be. This is where the, the right connections are. 
This is where our home base is. Obviously, in order to shoot video about the Bible lands, we don't do the most of the shooting here in Indiana. We travel over, but I've yet to encounter an instance where I thought, oh, I just wish Indianapolis had fill in the blank, and they don't. I really do enjoy this city. And the more people that I meet and the more people that I get connected with, the more I realize there is, there's a vast untapped potential here, creative potential here, that uh, I think they're all just kind of waiting for Appian Media-like opportunities to be created so that they can jump in and, and use their talents. So it sounds like part of your vision is to allow Appian to be the platform that can draw these homegrown creatives from all over the state and, and surrounding areas together to make these amazing projects a reality. Oh, I would love to see Appian Media become large enough that we've got multiple teams. That may be our, our 10 year, 15, 20 year plan, but eventually we're, we're going to grow beyond where I'm doing the majority of the editing. Um, and Stu's doing the majority of the producing, we're gonna need that talent. And it, it doesn't make sense for us to look at Hollywood first. Let's, let's look at the people here. And talent is being grown here. There are some, some interesting opportunities. Uh, you and I both know of this incredible thing that's happening at Apprentice University. Um, I actually teach there and teach video and storytelling. And I see students coming up with the right kinds of skills that uh, when they're, they're just waiting for the opportunity, they're just waiting for the chance. What advice would you have for Hoosier Creative, who's maybe in Mishawaka, Indiana, and thinks they're all alone on an island and, and saying, if I can just get enough money for a bus ticket to LA or New York so I can make it big in the big time, what advice would you have for them? I would encourage them to really just look around and realize that it used to be that way. That mindset was accurate at one time. If you wanted to work in the industry, there were really only two or three places you could go and they were on the coasts. That doesn't exist anymore. It's not exclusively that anymore. Um, there are incentives that are trying to be pushed through in this state that I really think could open up some incredible opportunities. I'm excited to see what happens with that. But even beyond large-scale motion picture productions that these incentives would attract are things like what we're trying to do, small teams or, or businesses that need this talent. Um, just get connected with the right kind of people and don't miss the opportunities that are right in front of you because you're too busy looking six, seven, eight states beyond here. Um, there's, a, there's a lot happening here. And the power of just finding that one other like-minded person can make all the difference in the world. Right. I mean, that's the, really the story of your story. Right. Found one more person that had that same vision and now the vision became a reality. Right, and I'll attribute that to, to Stuart it was not an idea I would have come up with by myself. I'm a fairly conservative person. I'm very analytical. Sometimes I take too long to evaluate the pros and cons of a thing, and then the opportunity is missed. And, and Stuart is the kind of person that says, let's just jump in and do this. And I think it's worthwhile, and we'll figure it out. We'll lay the track 
as the train's coming down. And he has pushed me beyond my own comfort zone to create something that really neither of us could have done without each other. And so that's, that's my encouragement to anyone here in the state, specifically here in Indianapolis, is connect with those people and see what you can do together. Because you're right, by yourself, a single person here in Indiana, your opportunities may be limited. But once you start reaching out and connecting with other creatives, you can get a small group of people and go overseas to a country you've never been before and produce something that a lot of people said was impossible. Just find the right kind of people to, to push you in the right direction. How do you fund your actual lifestyle? If you were to have asked me five years ago, I would have told you I never wanted to own my own business and I certainly did not want to manage a team. And I can't speak for God, but I imagine every time I said something like that, he was chuckling. Because wouldn't you know, in the course of a week, both of those things occurred. And at first, it was not entirely by my choice. But I realized that in order to do what I felt was important work with Appian Media, I couldn't commit to a full-time job with an employer. And so I had to take on the freelance gig lifestyle. I had been doing that on occasion for a decade. I had picked up, like I said, some very valuable skills with the production company that I was working with. It's not easy and it's not a clear path and it's certainly not for everybody. But I'm convinced it's, it's the only way that we would have been able to do what we did and have been doing with Appian Media. And how did you deal with the doubts because you said you were somebody that is pretty conservative, likes to go step by step, but when you pull the ripcord and jump out of the corporate world and suddenly you are free falling into freelance, that's gotta be terrifying at some level for you. How do right. you deal with that? It takes a great deal of faith and connecting with the right kind of people. I'm at a point where I hardly advertise. I do have a web presence. It's an interesting position that I'm in. Right now it's a blessing, but I'm the only Craig D. Hutt on the internet. Until I commit some kind of international crime, that will be great, you know? But I work with people and have created now a reputation where the work that I like to do and the projects that I'm attracted to the most come to me and they find, they find me. Like I said, that's not been easy but uh, we're going on three and a half, almost four years now of that type of work. And um, God has provided. And like I said, it has brought the projects that I like to me from, from the kind of people that, that I'm excited to work with. When you work on projects of the scope and size that you work on, the project also tends to work on you in some ways. In what ways have the projects you've taken on shaped or changed you as a person? I think both in what I do as a freelancer. Um, I'm attracted to telling stories that inform and inspire and change people. And oftentimes it's in an industry that I don't know everything about. So I get to learn along the way. And that's a huge benefit to me. The work that I do with Appian Media um, I mean, as a Christian, I'm getting to see places and learn things that 
I've been familiar with the biblical story my whole life, but actually getting to see the sea that Jesus walked on, actually getting to walk up the steps of the temple that Jesus would have walked up, um, actually getting to talk to an archaeologist who says, we have found evidence here in the ground of an existence of a united monarchy of Israel during the period of King. I mean, just to, to see the evidence, uh, the bolster that that's been to my faith, I can't wait to create more because I can't wait to learn more. So it's moved from blind faith to now, it sounds like you, you were able to find real solid evidence, a foundation to put your faith on that is historical, archeological on top of your spiritual faith. Right, and I would say, if, if no one has the opportunity to go over to the Bible lands, they're not able to do that during their lifetime. I don't think it's required in order to believe and have solid faith. I think the biblical text itself, if you actually research how we got that and how it's been preserved and how it was transmitted over time, that's evidence in and of itself. I don't believe that God ever required blind faith. He didn't actually want us to believe just because he said so. He has provided in the land, in the history, in the traditions, evidence for us to say, you know, this, this is real. These were real people in real places, and the events recorded in Scripture have been verified by other nations in their histories. But yeah, the more I delve into it, and I don't certainly claim to be an expert at all, I've only made three trips, and I could make 300 and still not consider myself an expert. But the more that I've learned and the more that I've experienced, the more I'm convinced of of the validity of the biblical text and, and of the power of it to, to change people. It seems like the secular world, whenever someone goes out on a spiritual journey and trying to tell a spiritual message and then give it away for free, uh, that goes in the face of everything in capitalism and, and other models that, that we hold near and dear here in the United States. What adversity have you come up against and, and how have you dealt with that? Well, it's interesting that you say that. Um, the traditional path of a filmmaker, especially a documentary filmmaker, is we create the product, we shop it around at film festivals, and we're looking for distributors. And they'll be responsible for physical product, DVD and Blu-rays, but they'll also be streaming services. It's thus far been very difficult to find a distributor when you explain to them that you also want the power to make it available for free on YouTube. That doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't. And financially, it doesn't. How am I supposed to sell a product, they say, if you're giving it away for free on the number one media streaming site? It doesn't make sense. But thankfully, mechanisms have been put into place that did not exist 20 years ago. Crowdfunding, for one, that have allowed us to bypass all of that. I'm not dependent on Hollywood and their traditional distribution models. It's us, as our team, directly to consumers. And we basically ask them beforehand, do you want us to create this? And if the answer is yes, will you support it? And thus far, you know, by, by God's grace and blessing, the answer has been yes, and they have financially supported it in large amounts. And then we create it and we give it to them. And as long as that keeps working, and as long as people say, yes, please create more, 
and I can't tell you how, how many different ideas have been given to us and how big our list, how long our list of potential new series and projects is, we could be telling these stories for multiple lifetimes, um, provided that the support and the funding is there. Mm -hmm. Like a biblical character, you were given a thorn in the side and yours is in the form of a hypodermic needle to manage your type one diabetes. And how is that chronic sort of management issue for your health impact how you have to approach taking on these big dreams that you want to take on? Sure. Uh, so when I was 10 years old, I was diagnosed with, with type one juvenile diabetes, which means that I need to take insulin every day. I have to check my glucose uh, multiple times a day. And at the very beginning, it was very debilitating. There was a lot of anxiety and fear and disappointment. But late in my teens, through the encouragement of people like my mother and, and others, I was determined not to let it stop me. It didn't have to stop me from living on my own, from going to college, from getting a job, from getting married and having children. And now, traveling over to Israel, with a condition like this, it's not easy, but it's not impossible. It takes extra prep. It takes extra uh, resources while I'm there. You need to be careful, but it's not impossible. And so I think everyone, and it's actually, this was a pivotal shift in my mindset as far as this disease was concerned, when I realized, and it took too long for me to realize it, that yes, I have type one diabetes, but everybody has something. And actually, there's a lot of people who have worse things than I do. Everybody's got something and we all have to make the decision, am I gonna let it keep me from doing the things that I should be doing? Will it, will it keep me from pursuing the goals that I think are important that God wants me to do? And uh, it's gonna take some extra effort and it may not be comfortable along the way, but that's something to be mindful of and that I talked about with my wife and, and my family when this idea was first floated. I had never been out of this country before. And so to fly overseas and to be away from a Walgreens pharmacy, you know, to be away from my routine and what I was used to in managing this disease, it was not impossible. And so I wasn't gonna let it slow me down. What role do you think hope plays in your vision for your nonprofit? It's essential. And hope is not this ethereal, cloud-like substance of, boy, I wish one day I could own a mansion. It's hope is sustainable, it's attainable, if we're hoping in the right things and we have a plan to achieve those things. Um, the hope that I have that this organization can continue to do its work and grow to do more is not based on some wishful thinking. It's based on what I would say are, are firm indications from those that have consumed it thus far and from those that see the big vision that we had from the beginning. It's based on the support that we've received from people and continue to receive that we can look ahead and it's becoming more and more clear. Without that, we're, we're aiming at something that we can't see. 
and you're never gonna get somewhere if you don't actually know what you're aiming for. So hope is essential. What excites you most about the future you're trying to create here? What I'm excited the most about what we're doing with Appian Media and what we're doing with the stories that we're telling is that I'm excited to be a small part in creating something that has the potential of impacting people for years and years to come and impacting them in a way that's bigger than me, that's beyond me, that's more important than me or our team even, that years from now, decades from now, my children can go back and look at what we created and share it with their children. And we're already seeing this, where complete strangers in countries like Iran, that I may not ever visit in my lifetime, are making comments on our YouTube videos, thanking us for creating what we've created. I had someone in our first year, we had not even created one second of video. We were simply asking for the funds to do the thing. And someone in Japan reached out and said, how do I support this? I want that. It excites me to know that we can, like I said, in a small part, in a small way, create something that will have a ripple effect that I will never fully understand or appreciate it, hopefully a generational impact because it's not me that's doing it, it's not Appian Media that's responsible for it, but we are connecting people with something that has survived multi-generational, multi-millennial. And it's that thing that I'm excited about continuing to connect people with. What do you think is the real benefit to the state of Indiana as a whole if they should invest and in nurture and foster a local creative community. I think the benefit of looking for and cultivating the talent here is practically speaking, it's cheaper, it's more economical, and the, the benefits to the consumer, to the audience that will get to enjoy it, the benefits of the recognition that it will bring to cities like Indianapolis and beyond. We've raised some eyebrows when we went to Texas to receive this award that we won and we're able to tell them we're based in Indianapolis, Indiana. You know, not California like you might expect, not New York like you might expect. Um, and that is a benefit to where we are. And I think the more that we can create and the more that we can inspire other people, maybe not to come and create with us, but to start their own crazy idea. That's, I would love to see more of that. And I think it's happening, like I said, I think it's happening, but I would love to see it happen at a quicker rate and involve more people. And I think they're here. I mean, you look for it on Instagram and you look for it on social media, they're here. They're just waiting for either that crazy guy in a coffee shop to throw this interesting idea out, or they're waiting, I don't know, waiting for permission to ask other people to join them in that crazy idea. So the more we can in some small way show them it can be done, I think the better it is for the city and the, and the state and beyond, really. What would be one piece of practical advice you would give for somebody that's contemplating 
either the freelance life or becoming a full-time creative. One piece of advice that I would give for those considering freelancing, um, especially in this creative industry, is don't go into it with rose-colored glasses. Don't glorify it and think, I just don't have the discipline for a nine-to-five job, so I wanna do freelancing because that's gonna be so much easier or so much more flexible. Yes, there is some flexibility um, inherent to it, but it's, I would say, harder to do. Go into it by reaching out to those who have done it before, um, mentors who can encourage you the proper way to do it, and be willing to every day admit you don't know everything and you want to connect with the people that you can learn from. I'm three and a half years into this. I don't consider that a long time and I'm still connecting with other people to say, how best can I continue to do this? So be humble and, and willing to learn throughout the process. And what would be maybe one or two pitfalls to avoid if you're thinking about going this route? I think one of the pitfalls that I recognized in my own career, especially last year, was being willing to actually say no sometimes so that you can say yes when the right opportunities come. If you say yes to everything all of the time, when those really important opportunities are presented to you, you're gonna be too maxed out to say yes. So identify the things that you are the most passionate about doing. You will have to do projects that you aren't super passionate about. It's the nature of the work, um, but pick and choose those and keep yourself open as much as you can for the next big opportunity. What do you think is really the one takeaway you would hope somebody would swallow up and consume from our conversation today? I would hope that by sharing our story, by sharing my story, that people would be inspired to create things themselves that are meaningful and, and powerful. I would hope that people would be inspired to see not only what Appian Media has created, but to, to look around this city and see what is being created. And uh, hopefully that will encourage them and inspire them in the right kinds of ways. So the listener that's been with us through this conversation and enjoyed a cup of coffee with us, what challenge would you have for them to take on the vision and the dream and the hope that they have? The challenge that I would have for anyone just starting out or considering starting out on a journey like this is if you find yourself regularly complaining about a gap in the market or regularly complaining that such and such doesn't exist or you wish it existed in a different way than is currently available, be honest with yourself and ask, could I be the one to fill that gap or introduce that in a new way? That's how Appian Media started, was we heard ourselves say frequently enough, I wish, fill in the blank, we're out there, and it's not. That we were able to, to look at our talents and say, between us and the people that God would bring us, we can fill that gap. And so try and fill it. And also find like minds, right? That's right because it sounds like you and Stuart complement each other in a lot of ways. 
We do, we complement each other, but we are also very different. Right. I do not need a co-founder that's exactly like me. This wouldn't have worked. And Stuart did not need another Stuart. This wouldn't have worked. Um, but I will frequently tell people that he's the Walt Disney and I'm the Roy Disney. He's the man with big dreams and big visions. Um, he's the guy shooting for the moon. And I'm the guy saying we don't have money to go to the moon right now, but we have money to get to whatever. Um, I'm the practical, logical person that every idea needs, but he's the one to keep pushing me and ask, I know that right now we could get here, but is it possible to get here? Is it possible to go beyond or to push farther or to think differently? And uh, boy, together we, we work. What's important is that the, the core values that we have, we are like-minded and we wanna do this for the right reason and we both believe in that. So finding those people that believe the things that you believe, um, that hold the things that are important to them, the same things that are important to you, are going to be essential. Um, but then find the people who will complement and make up for your own weaknesses, and maybe that you can help with your strengths to make up for theirs. So let's close where we began. If you had to sum it up, what's the moral of this story? Hmm. I'd say that the moral of this story is be willing to listen for the, the direction uh, that God presents to you in your life and be willing to honestly evaluate whether you can be pushed beyond your current limitations because I think we'll find that more often than not we can if we're willing to have faith and we're willing to have real genuine hope of something beyond our current circumstances. And that's what makes you a hopeful Hoosier. That's what makes me a hopeful Hoosier. Thank you for being on the program today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Do you have enough faith and hope to trust in a better and brighter future for us here in the state of Indiana? Are you willing to be so bold and courageous as Craig DeHutt and his team at Appian Media and truly walk by your faith in the business world? If so, you may quickly find out where you're truly placing your faith and if it's a worthy place to put your trust. Special thanks to our guest, Craig DeHutt. You can learn more about Appian Media and enjoy their videos and podcasts at appian, A-P-P-I-A-N, media.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, we would greatly appreciate your positive comments and ratings wherever you download your podcasts. It helps us to spread our hopeful message to more people. And you can follow the Hopeful Hoosier podcast on Facebook. Our theme music was composed and performed by Indianapolis's own Renaissance man, author, speaker, licensed therapist, and musician, George Middleton. Until next episode, I'm your Hopeful Hoosier host, Andy Dix, hoping you will do your part to make a positive difference for a better and brighter future for us here in the state of Indiana. Thank you for listening. The Hopeful Hoosier Podcast is a production of AD Growth Advisors Incorporated, an Indianapolis-based executive coaching firm helping visionaries, idealists, conscious capitalists, social entrepreneurs, nonprofits, and B Corps to be their best at doing their good. Visit us on the web at adgrowthadvisors.com. The Hopeful Hoosier Podcast, copyright 2020 by AD Growth Advisors Incorporated, all rights reserved.